And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Ah! Really? Oh, that, that sounds like you should have that checked. <laughs> you got a little polyp or two oh, yeah, yeah. lurking in there. <laughs> ah, welcome back. I have returned. Yeah, new year, new podcast. Who's this? Yeah. Who saw that coming? Yeah, I, mm. my my struggles and travails are finally over after the holidays. Yes. Uh, so I am now back to normal. Also, rested and fed, got my hit points back. My saving throws are no longer suffering like minus threes on all saves. <laughs> I am in much better shape now. All your fatigued and exhausted yeah. conditions are removed. <laughs> Mana has been restored. I no longer require additional pylons. So. Mm. Well, that's good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so welcome back, folks, to the our first podcast of the new year. We uh, definitely going to hit the ground running this time. Uh, boy, uh, yeah, you leave off a few days and turn your back on the internet, and what happens? Oh, yeah, that too. <sighs> and we'll be talking about the uh, newest scrum in the circle, which is the OGL. Updated license of 1.1 from Wizards of the Coast. Yep, we're actually pulling a pin on this one, doing it right now. Yeah, no fluttering kimonos, no delayed reaction. We're, we're going to go after this like as it's unfolding. Like, this really just kicked off yesterday. And I mean, you know, within the last couple of days, this emerged and went from emergent to exploding. So we're going to just jump right on board. Because yeah, we definitely we get have that, some thoughts. Uh, we have... Uh, we have a little uh, business to take care of first. So we talked about uh, last week. I was able to do the solo cast, which was the RuneQuest solo quest. I heard a couple of things about uh, that. So, yeah, for thirty bucks, I want to just rehit that. You get all that stuff and more. You get a lot of stuff out of that box set, and it's a great value for thirty bucks. And uh, it does seem kind of timely about to tie into this one because. If you're looking for it to get into a new system right now, if you're feeling a little trepid about uh, the future of some things, give request a shot. That starter set, that'll get you set up right away. But also, we're going to do a foretelling of the future. So, not only just this new season, this is season five for us, but first episode of the year, what is the foretelling for our next episode? Ah, the Alveromancer listens, listens, and out, out on the breeze, he divines. In our near future, it's a discussion on Dungeon 23. Oh, the yeah. meta concept. Yeah. It's it's going to veer to and fro because we'll be speaking both of the literal phenom, mm -hmm. uh, Dungeon 23, the, the sort of collective effort uh, to encourage creativity and practice. Uh, and some of our own tips and tricks and things like that. Yeah. Uh, we A few of them will be reiterations of things from very early podcasts, but as much new meta-narrative as like yeah, long-time DMs and creatives, I think we got a little something that we can throw in there. And I think I, it gives I us a good it. chance to get back to some of those old concepts and share them again, because what's old is new again and what's new is old again. But yeah, yeah, if you don't know what Tungeon 23 is for the year 23, it's basically you do a room a day and keep track of a map and each month you do a new level so you at the end of the year you will have about of 12 levels with about 30 or so rooms encounters it don't have doesn't have to be limited to 30 i mean there can be actually more rooms but 30 encountered rooms each level the rest of them can be empty or uh, tricks traps solutions whatever you want yeah there's I mean, no straitjacket and some people are doing stuff like uh, even if you do the bare minimum you end up with a very large, complex dungeon environment. Uh, so we'll be talking about, you know, like uh, for traveler, they're doing uh, 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 spaceships, yeah, and and planet encounters. So, I mean, you can vary it however you want. Um, you can make up what you want. It's your great dungeon exercise. may vary, right? <laughs> your dungeon may vary. So we'll be talking about that, and maybe a special surprise. So tune in for next week on our take on hashtag Dungeon Twenty Three. Yeah. But you can expect no less than... Oh, well, you know, some flatter us with the term the two-headed literary end of gaming podcasting, but no, we beg to differ. That's right. <laughs> Even at our best. <laughs> We're two half-orc bards that completely specialized in armpit fart polkas. <laughs> Roll out the elbow. 
<laughs> yeah, that's about us. And uh, yeah, so if you, for those of you who are contentious about our use of the two-headed literary, et, well, there we go. There's one you can use. We against. deny that it's us. Uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> we contend that we are unworthy. We're not worthy. Mm. <laughs> oh man! All right, so I think that does it for uh, the. Won't we the cover pre- the Alvera Mancer? Uh-huh. Yeah, so we got our podcast on. So let's tear into it. So if you've been uh, not paying attention or just living in your own contentment, which I would suggest. Yeah. And you don't know what's going on. Uh, Wizards apparently has leaked somehow, or somebody at Wizards, I believe. Let's get this right. <laughs> there, may be some, there may be some hidden, uh, you know, goodwill individuals in there who are not pleased. Like, even the staff within may not be entirely thrilled with the direction the corporate law team is taking on this. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the documents have fallen into the hands of the internet Uh that bode of ill. Yes, apparently uh, this leaked document has been leaked out, whether on purpose or by chance. It doesn't really matter. We're going to leave the conspiracy series, conspiracies theories out of this and just go with the main point. That uh, new OGL is going to be offered. It's going to be 1.1. And uh, we've had a chance to look at it and we've talked about it and we decided to go for it right now. It doesn't bode well because it apparently revokes the previous OGL 1.0A that everybody had been using and enjoying. Yeah, and, you know, there may at some point be claims to the contrary by the agency itself, uh, but there was no need to include language that implied that uh, if that was not your intention. So, it, I mean, it seems fairly obvious that even if there are some, you know, cries of innocence from within WOTC, like, oh, we, we, we didn't mean for that. Yeah, the language doesn't seem to support that. No, it doesn't. And for a lot of people to say, well, it just only applies to if you go with the new uh, D&D 1 or 6th edition, whatever you would like to call it. We'll just call it D&D 1 here. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I'm open to their new terminology. Look, I, I don't feel there's anything to be gained by playing weird games like I'm calling it 6th edition you know that's fine for you but you know their working title is D&D 1 or is it one person said D&D done yeah uh, which uh, I'm, I'm close if I were going to use a term it would probably be that because I, I still feel it's terribly early in this incredibly successful period to be walking away from the golden goose and saying, well, what we need is a whole different goose. You have one that makes golden eggs. Why are it's you not saying platinum eggs? We've got to take it out and shoot it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a there's a level Sorry, of... Chris, we had to steal that one from you. <laughs> yeah. There's a level of tinkering with excellence here that, you know, yeah, but we could be making more and you're going to toy with it until you break it. I, I have that trepidatious feeling that uh, hubris, you know, that Icarus is going to soar. Like, <laughs> look at me, I can get close to the sun. Oh, crack! Yeah. And it always ends the same way with hubris. There's a reason that this is an entrenched mythos uh, in so many different cultures. That like hubris, arrogance in the face of the gods, you know, like leads to your total downfall and destruction. Ah, that's why it's recurring. It's a it's a human frailty, and I, I fear that WOTC is suffering a great deal of that. So D and D one, I I consent to use their terminology, but my sentiment is more or less that you're really pushing your luck here, guys. Uh, if you're if you're concerned about under monetization. Boy, if you think you're under-monetized now, wait until you tick well, off an entire For those who base. may not have been as deeply clued in as we have immersed ourselves, let's try to focus a little yeah. bit about yeah. the, the narrative that's going we, on and what we, we're talking about specifically. We should begin with a discussion of yeah. the document itself. Okay. Right. The, the document of 1.0a, the original OGL, which has currently been used by Pathfinder, much of the OSR has a clause in section nine that states that they can re 
negotiate or reform the contract as they see fit going forward. And so this is their assertion that they're using out of Section 9. You can read in the OGL in the back of many yearbooks. It well, says that they the reserve the right. Yeah, to amend, alter, you know, reissue. You know, they, they Reevaluate the license. Yeah. Oh. And right off the bat, that's what they're saying here, is that they are uh, renegotiating the license and all previous licenses are invalid. Now, that's a wild claim right off the start. But even more so, what a lot of people have uh, jumped to the conclusions of. And I think that we need to see the full effect and implications. Yeah, the exact words that differ uh, with their claim about Section 9 is that, uh, you know, any previous agreement is non-authorized. Yeah. Uh, it a... will cease to be an authorized, which if you declare that the previous OGL is not an authorized license, uh, then that invalidates everybody else's material, uh, up to and including agencies as large as Paizo Games, uh, all the way down to the tiny little, you know, uh, one-shot producers doing splat books uh, or PDFs on the internet. It kind of has this potential far reach. Uh, so that choice of language, I don't think is accidental. Uh, the, the shakiness part of that claim, in theory, it is, you know, like the OGL does not rest entirely with WOTC. I mean, as it was written at the time, it did try to uh, sort of how do we put this? Uh, retcon in uh, perpetual protection. Oh, you know, it uh, for, states that is in per perpetuity. And yeah. a lot of people have read it as irrevocable. No, Section 9 does say, and through Section uh, 14, does have terms for uh, them revoking the license from certain, if you don't follow certain stat strictures inside there. And which it is outlined a, what the strictures were. Now, yeah, if in you this didn't. case, the amendment that they're proposing is not because anybody has violated those strictures. Uh, the amendment they're pro uh, proposing is you know, like a, a, the immediate deauthorization of all previous usage. Eh, that puts them on some sketchy ground after 20 plus years of letting this ride uh, to then reassert that, you know, and yeah, it may apply to things that now going forward after they state this new contract, you may have a harder time making that claim. If you came in, some most believe a lot of contract and IP lawyers who have wait, actual real lawyers who have weighed in on this. We watched one before in particular, here, in yeah. particular that stated that it may be that uh, after this uh, is fully cemented. It may also only apply to D&D 1. It may also only apply after it has fallen. So if you've done anything before that, you're fine. Because you can default to the original OGL 1.0A, not the new OGL 1.1. But either way, it's a bit of a reach. And you're trusting the good graces of what essentially is a giant predator. Uh, all corporations are. And I mean... You know, I speak with a certain amount of hesitant affection for WOTC uh, because in the past they came in as like the torchbearer or the white knight. They emerged when D&D was at its low ebb, like in the collapse where it quite literally could have fallen into nothing. Uh, and they pulled that out of the fire and then brought about the 3, 3.5 era, you know, after a clumsy start. They delivered really high quality product and lots of it, and then further took the step of engendering a community that was empowered to create its own material. Now, this led to a gaming renaissance that was like the end of the 90s, early 2000s. You know, there was a... Well, the, in the 2000s, not the 90s. But yeah. yeah so, so the, after third edition, they, they established the OG on the SRG. Yeah, within five years, uh, there was a vast surge of people creating on their own and publishing via the internet, uh, doing splat books. And I know some of that was lower quality material. It wasn't held with the same rigid standards one might expect. But an awful lot of material was on the market. 
And there's no way you can say, oh, well, it's terrible for gamers when there's a wide variety of product on the market. When be, oh, that, that, oh, God, that's just awful. You, that is just too idiotic to even embrace. So we were pretty happy right at that moment. It felt like a renaissance. And then that renaissance, too, also faded. Yeah, fourth edition, they came out with what was called the gaming standard. Welcome license. to the Dark Age, where their last attempt to curb the, oh, boy, we hate that, like, OGL. It lets people make stuff they actually like. And then they, they don't like our stuff, and we can't sell our stuff. So we can only sell our stuff if we destroy theirs. Yeah, fourth edition in GSL collapsed like an imploding star. Well, it, it worked for a while. They, they propped it up. There's a lot of excuse generation, I think, on Wizards of the Coast side saying... Random excuse generator. That they said, oh, we didn't have enough uh, runway under the tires, or we got off to a bad start. Yeah, you did. And uh, you were told the customers that it was bad, wrong fun that they were playing third edition uh, and other versions yeah. of the game. And you Randy needed to switch specifically to has never forgiven you. that because he was at the Gen Con where he got the lecture from the actual wizard <laughs> staff. Sore. You know, having a dude stand up in front of you and explain to you that you don't understand what fun is. You're doing it all wrong. And that if you just did it the way we tell you, then you would truly have fun and understand how much more fun our fun is. But like, you're telling that to a room full of people who tried this and their literal experience, their their actual visceral gut level experience was, this doesn't feel anything like D&D that I have ever Yeah, heard. it's not, a, fourth edition wasn't unfun. I, it's not like, I, oh, this was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It's but, the worst game I've ever played. Yeah, it wasn't that, but. No. It just, if you put the dragons on it, I'm not, I'm not getting it. Yeah. Casting fireball at first level, it's not a real fireball. It's a fire bolt. Just call it fireball. That was my whole thing. And fire. Yeah, yeah fire. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, Straw, uh, Homestar Runner has ruined us. So um, anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what we get for paying attention to Strong Bad's emails. Trying to steer us back yeah, on the road back, here. Back, back onto the road. Like, I'm trying to insert as much joy as possible because it's a little bit of a triggering subject. You know, this having a sense of level levity uh, helps detract yeah. from the gloom and doom atmosphere that I feel a lot of people hyperindulge in. And I'm trying to be more accurately critical than doom and gloom. Yeah, let's let's talk about yeah. that specifically. Let's let's pull that back. Yeah, they, they um, lost a lot of ground uh, with fourth edition. Uh, there was a lot of backpedaling and a lot of like blame casting. Uh, and in the end, it didn't work. And they went back to the drawing board and said, hey, let's let's build a system that better resembles early versions of Dungeons well, and Dragons. All and has a nod and a connection to all of the different editions that have come out. And this way we can like slip in some fourth, despite the fact that it's hated. We can keep a few tidbits that people so. didn't despise. Yeah. So in things fit, from third, things from second and first edition, yeah. and even the original edition, if you want to strip away all the uh, proficiencies and powers. And in yeah. fifth, they did a bang up job from, you know, yeah. like they had a clumsy start, as we have said on the podcast before, the, the release, the staggered release of materials in the earliest days of fifth edition were problematic, but they didn't stop. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They kept putting out new material. And they took a note from the excellent lessons of the Paizo personnel. They paid attention to campaign play and like open sandbox where like we've provided you with an entire region, a wide variety of theoretical plot narratives, side quests and other material, but a single major overarching chief plot that dominates this Right, with numerous side quests and entanglements that and you they can build a lot of material in there. Okay, yeah. some of these, I, I, wow, and we've reviewed a few of these, um, and I would love to like have some discussions on more, which we will in the future and more. Yeah, but they really nailed it, and I don't think the well is dry, or I don't think it's as dry as they imagined that it might be, and so this move towards a, we're under monetized. I, yeah, look, look, yeah. If you think that's undermonetized right now, let, let, let's let's put you chase this away. I think we're getting a little lost in the meta on this no. one. So, but yeah, let's yeah. bring it back to the focus here about how people now are. It could be a very present thing. Uh, one of um, and how people like to hyper focus on that fixing. 
I don't think all is lost. I believe personally that uh, what Wizards is doing right now is what you just said, the monetization. If you, uh, like I think it was in September, they said uh, from one of the uh, big wigs up in Hasbro said that one of their problems was is the under monetization of D&D. And, and then this comes out. You can definitely see the correlation between those two. Now, people were already fixated on it, the under monetization, but uh, a term from one of the big wigs or bean counters was yeah, that, that's something to be worried about, but that was also because um, this Christmas, we've seen a lot of D&D stuff uh, out on the shelves. We got games and puzzles that aren't produced by Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro, but by some of them by secondary stuff. There was a die-cast miniature set at uh, Ollie's, for goodness sake, that was, uh, <laughs> that w- was really nice. I mean, I was impressed. Oh, man. Yeah, and you know... Wh- Look, it's not my level of painting, but it's well painted. It looks good. And if this is what you need to get miniature diecast miniatures, people use them. Heck yeah, I'm all for that. So I think that maybe that was what they were talking about. But it turns out that no, indeed, probably this is what they really were meant. And people read into that a lot better than I did because I, I really don't care. I don't play D&D Fifth Edition. I don't really own anything of uh, Fifth Edition, truth be told. I do. Yeah, I you a, do have. I have a... And so I leech off you like the, the uh, cheapskate that I am. But... <laughs> hey, and vice versa, man. I mean, your vintage board game pile is, is pretty oh. respectable, yeah. Well, so, module pile, yeah. too. It's more of a gamer collective library. Yeah. So, <laughs> but between the two of us, you know, we've, we've got quite a array of uh, both classic and modern gaming. And, you know, we're both feeling... A, like the same kind of trepidation. Yeah, now that it's come home, it's landed that this is, and it's still leak. It's still, this just could be uh, something that somebody like, as Mike intend, intoned earlier, this could be somebody who was concerned about the direction this is going and decided to throw it out there. And, you know, as a leak, in air quotes, it, it's leaked, but was given purposely so that people would run with it and throw it out there and let everybody go, oh my God, I hate this. It's totally the worst idea I ever heard. And then let Wizards get the feedback from that. Well, yeah, the marvelous thing about the internet is that, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, uh, the first Star Wars movie, you know, <laughs> A New Hope. Uh, there's always the possibility that like the, the plucky ragtag outsiders could change something uh, and fire that miracle shot into the Death Star and blast it into smithereens. Uh, you know, that, that narrative sells well. Also, you know, hey, the internet did has accomplished some remarkable things in the past. Uh, yeah. Know, an, an example would be like nobody was happy with the incredibly ugly Sonic movie. So instead they got the incredibly boring Sonic movie. Uh so well they changed some things but yeah it made it seemed to please the base and it was still a boring (laughs) i'm sorry for my money it still seemed like you know somebody had like one of those fish scoops and was rescuing a turd from a sewer um so like maybe you should have just left it there um i totally love jim carrey i'm sorry that that may have been a little excessively harsh another a better example would be the Princess Bride. People oh. have been trying to reboot this forever, and the internet stood up as one and said, "Cut it out! Just, just, stop. Just, just stop! Stop with your remake culture! Don't like you know, the combine harvester does not have to rip through the fields, shredding everything from our childhood, and then regurgitating it out into clumps that it can remarket to us again and again. Some things were exactly what they were, and need like." Oh, are we on our 16th reiteration of the Maltese Falcon? Uh, no, we are not. There are some things that once they're done, they're freaking done. And you should really just leave them alone. Right. So, and but getting uh, back to the, the, the core <laughs> principle. The right? internet can deliver hope. And that belief runs rampant. And the idea is that maybe if like a great enough level of disapproval that suggests a threatened cataclysmic loss of sales if that sinks into the you know well the well-armored tiny corporate brains uh, you know like, that are generally you know very well protected against any form of influence or thought or originality <laughs> exactly you know uh, <laughs> enlightenment can penetrate even the helm of iron uh, in the words of saint cuthbert mm. uh, <laughs> in a stout several nouts from a stout cudgel 
will help you along the way <laughs> to wisdom. So we're hoping that if there is some, you know, listening happening, like feeling out of, you know, like, let's read the room and see how this is going to go. Yeah, we it's have, not going well. There's some justification to suggest out loud and to make it very clear that, like, look, some of this is not welcome. You need to tread super carefully if you want to do this and not be seen as absolutely villainous. And, yeah, you know, it could be some dire consequences. Yeah, you know, do you really want Critical Role going back to Pathfinder 2nd Edition? Because this is how you're going to get it if yeah, you keep this up. Because Pathfinder 2E would certainly love the attention. They yeah. love everybody jumping ship. They started out with Pathfinder and went to 5th so, edition. If using uh, like uh, any version of D&D becomes a legal liability, there is this enormous potential for everyone else to jump on board. Uh, oh, yeah. And so we, I think we've covered pretty well that I think that uh, with their, their reauthorizing the OGL with the new 1.1, they're kind of trying to invalidate the 1.0, uh, 1.0A, excuse me. I'm not used to this legalese mumbo jumbo. Um, when they're trying to do that by uh, revoking it, by saying this is, we are reissuing a new authorized license and the former one is no longer authorized. I think that only applies to going forward with the D&D one and after it's dropped. But if you're in the publishing business right now, you have a lot to worry about if you want to go with the new edition of D&D or even think about continuing on with fifth edition because they could alter this and take your stuff away. Now, coming up into the second segment here, we're going to talk about the other part here, which is just as contentious, but is uh, doesn't affect the everyman as much as the first part does. Yeah. Where if you enjoy like Osric or uh, Swords and Wizardry, there's some concern here, but I think if they were going to pull the plug on this before, they had a long opportunity to do that with Paizo back in the day because Section 9 of the original 1.0A OGL specifically stated that they could have removed that authority at any time for them to publish under that. But I also think with like the second edition from Paizo's Pathfinder, I think that they're a lot more safe. They're a lot further away from the core mechanics of third edition. Uh, essentially to make a claim that they could be almost a completely new game. But yeah. <laughs> that's that's for the lawyers to sort out. I think there's a good case there if this really came push came to shove that uh, Paizo and some other people, Green Ronin and uh, others that benefit from the OGL, could come together and file a countersuit against Wizards. And as Mike said, it's a pretty shaky ground. It, it's not, uh, I don't think it's a done deal. It's not as uh, cemented as, as they would look perhaps think in their if they hours. were if they put forward a clear limited application uh they might be able to get some of this passed uh if they go for wild overreach um that one is going to generate some fairly large court cases it, it is going to be super pricey to you know come up to put forward the widest possible uh treatment of this new well language. we've also seen like when small companies band together and this is a copyright thing. There are a lot of IP lawyers out there that live for this. Yeah. Oh, it should um, be exciting. Yeah, it, it wouldn't. I don't think it would suit Wizards well. In the long run. So I don't. I don't think there's as much to worry about that. But people like to fixate on the bad, and there's right to be concerned. But I don't think it is as dark as one seats. Now, perhaps you can say that, like, hey, you didn't see when uh, the corporate uh, bigwig said at Wizards. And Hasbro said that uh, they were under D and D is under monetized. You didn't see the alarm in that. Uh, well, yeah, I maybe didn't. And guilty as charged. I'm not omniscient and omniscient, and I'm only human. I can only uh, call it like I see it. But that's how I called it at the time. And hey, I turned out to be wrong. So, hmm. well, under monetization can mean a wide variety of things. However, like in an era of like strategized, uh, you know, streaming revenue, uh, a lot of your monetization schemes uh you're like ooh, you know here's a skin for your like character in our video game that costs mm. like 15 real dollars yeah <laughs> or you know <laughs> wow you spent 15 dollars or a considerable amount more um, all right yeah but silly, we're gonna get we're gonna get back into that yeah, we'll jump into second. the craziness when we get back all right well we're gonna take a break so stick around we'll be back 
And we're back. So, okay, thanks for sticking around, folks. Yeah, we cut that one a little close, but we were having a good rant, Mike. So, yeah, the crazy uh, that uh, these bean counters, and like you were saying, the small armored brains are impervious almost to originality or creativity. They they also look down on gamers, I, I, I think. I gave a, in the interim, I mentioned, I broke off into a defense, uh, which of the, the culture, okay? Mm-hmm. These are people who, have the button down job and they have like pressure responsibilities deadlines expectations there's a constant need to prove and reprove and prove and reprove uh, you cannot collect these kinds of salaries and not deliver something so there is a perpetual need to do something and to at least appear to do something well but that doesn't leave a lot of time to have an embedded familiarity with the culture that you are selling things to and so it, it's very possible for people like they were very connected to the culture, find their way into a career path in a business that caters to that culture. And then within 10 years, they no longer really know much of anything about that culture. They've, they've lost that connection. And I, I honestly am going to be generous in ascribing that to part of the problem. That, oh, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Den. Uh, you know, well, corporate culture puts a lot of demands on the people who work in it. Uh, you know, if it's a production and profit-based, you know, scenario, you you really got to be bringing your A-game. Uh, there is no room for chum. I take the uh, Frank Zappa approach to corporate bigwigs. <laughs> okay. You know, the... Uh, he has a he has a big thing on it. I'm not going to bore anybody here. You know where to look it up. Uh, Frank Zappa did base, to sum it up basically said that uh, well, the guys that didn't know anything about uh, music were in charge of these executives. He'd rather deal with them than the uh, hippie types that they hired back in the day. And then those guys got promoted, and they have a certain view of what music or what music should sound like. And if it doesn't fit their narrative, they didn't. Where the big cigar uh, chompers. We're like, well, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's make ten thousand copies and see if it sells. And that they would just give it a chance. They didn't. They knew they were out of their element, and they didn't even uh, purchase it. But a lot of these guys at Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast corporate culture are under a deadline, and they're under enormous pressures to perform for their shareholders. And if the shareholders aren't happy, well, you're gonna have to be looking for a new job pretty soon. Yeah. So there and, are demands on them. I I understand that. Uh, and when you consider the words of Hasbro's upper echelons, uh, that does strongly suggest to us that WOTC is being pressured to like increase their monetization, uh, which now you look at this expression of take, reassuming control of their IP uh, in really broad, loosely defined ways. And it, it really does suggest to us that this is an attempt to wrestle control of IPs in a way that allows them to monetize that much more effectively uh, and hopefully shut the people above them up. Because if you're, you know, like crap rolls downhill in the corporate world, as I have learned firsthand. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, but anyway, back onto the open gaming license. So we talked about the first part that the, um, there was the SRD, which we didn't talk a whole lot about, but that was kind of invalidated when they moved past third edition. Um, Nami, the SRD was a big thing before, but the OGL allowed a lot of people to just use the basic premise of the rules as it sat and uh, royalty free license granted in perpetuity. It remained intact for about 20 years and allowed people to what we know as the OSR and a lot of other uh, gaming companies have benefited from. And that's now in jeopardy. But now we're going to talk about in the new OGL 1.1 uh, what the other part is that bothers people, which is that the license agreement, which gives you um, specific ownership, is going to remain intact. They're going to let you own that and make money off it. But at any time, with a 30-day notice, they can revoke that right. And further, one step further than that, than like the, the revocation which would result in have being obligated to destroy any existing copies that tie you to them. That's one option. The other option is their ability, newly defined, to make creative use of anything that you have created 
for their own profit without being obligated to share with you. Like, oh, you own it, but we can make money off of it too. Uh, so now it becomes a two-way street where the huge vehicle that has the ability to deliver to mass markets uh, can harvest whatever you have prepared uh, that they like and go, no, no, we're running with that. But you're like, hey, you, you retain creative control. You can go uh, publish your own little thing somewhere else but we're going to put out 10 million copies of this with the the idea that we really like uh yeah that that kind of bulletproof immunity to ip abuse uh <laughs> um that they're proclaiming themselves to have that is also highly shaky ground this the language is just yeah at one point they say that you have a royalty free yeah um you. ability to use and create but they can take that away from you, and then they don't owe you any royalties. That, in contract law, is a red flag for a lot of people. And by doing that, yeah, you can say, well, you submitted to it. Well, of course, yeah, but if it's a bad base submission and it's the only way to go forward, you've written a bad contract. Yeah, this is, if you're familiar with the way really dicey patent office, uh, not patent offices, but uh, patent companies operate, where like I'm, I'm applying to a patent company to help them or to have them help me get my item patented. And yeah, you, you got your like $2,000 payment and they made 1.5 million. Um, so um, <laughs> I'm glad all that blood, sweat and tears in your garage or your den, you know, at, at the drafting table paid off so handsomely for yeah. you. Uh, Ooh, what, did, what did you buy with that? Like a, you'd have had better luck with a collection of lottery tickets. Um, and by the way, short inspirational story. I, I do actually know a person who's uh, drafting skills in the garage. Uh, like he dropped out of college. And if some of you are familiar with the packaging for Capri Sun, uh, was originally developed for NASA by the gentleman that I'm speaking mm. of. I'm not going to just dole out his name because we don't like to dox people. But yeah. yeah. But in any case, <laughs> uh, he made an absolute fortune because he retained all the patents on that. He did not go through some other agency. He patented everything himself, then licensed to the use thereof to NASA and ultimately to the corporate world. Right. But and so he made all of his own money. I mean, he, he retained control, ownership, and profitability, even though. You know, it was doled out to a wide variety of uses. And that applies to situations like this, because this specific language would negate the possibility of anything like that happening to anybody. You know, like there will be no good luck stories or like, uh, you know, the brave little orphan from the little village suddenly makes good. No, <laughs> that myth is dead in this environment. It is you know, like, no, if you, if you evince any level of genuine success, well, anyway, getting back to the open game license, Perfectly. it was always intended to allow, one of the things it said, to allow to help grow the DD community and expand it creatively. And they specifically say it wasn't intended to subsidize major competitors, especially now that PDF is by far the most common form of distri distribution. So this is stated in the 1.1 OGL, and that is not a mistake. They want to, they have basically at one point announced that they view other competitors now as hostile to their brand with that statement and that is another big problem going forward if you want to agree to the 1.1 OGL even if you submit to it and say well I want to publish stuff for D&D 1 so I guess I'm going to have to go with this I understand that they will be able to not only take out my creative products and then run with them but uh, they will owe me nothing in return and can take my uh, creative endeavors and do whatever they want with them and deny me the ability to use them anymore. That's shaky ground what Mike is talking about, but there's also the other implication that now they view uh, other people as threats. And yeah, that's why there's a lot of concern about this. Yeah, this is like how do, if I were trying to introduce them to the greater concept that I'm putting forward here, and I was trying to get through that corporate bullet head. Um, you know, you're viewing the world as like a series of competing entities. Uh, whereas gamerdom, the actual sphere in which all of your sales and all of your potential sales exists, is more like a single amoeba 
Okay, so you're having an argument uh, over like this cell of the amoeba is a terrible enemy of that cell of the amoeba. Um, <laughs> you know, you're you're invoking self-destruction. Uh, you're, it's a very extremely short-sighted thought. Um, gamerdom as a whole is not so vast that you can afford to slash away at large segments of it. It's not going to split and double. Uh, it's just going to split and get smaller and smaller and smaller. And this has happened before. We have had periods mm -hmm. where like it divided. You know, it's, the, the one became two, the two became four, but none of them ever really achieved the huge size of the one. Uh, you're not going to get that greater growth uh, and long-term health that you're looking for in a wildly divided gamer community in which you're struggling to acquire control over a smaller and smaller niche uh, as you chase off the people who would otherwise be shopping with you. Uh, so strategically, you know, there may be a terrible misunderstanding here. Like that we are one organism and you know, like that degree of you know, like hostility to other people working on gaming projects inside that organism does not benefit us, does not move us forward. Well, yeah, and like uh, with the Gozmodo article uh, that this all stems from a lot, you can look that up online. Uh, I'll put a link into it in uh, our uh, Facebook page. But according to what uh, they say here, and I'm just going to direct read, according to attorneys consulted for this article, the new language may indicate that Wizards of the Coast is rendering any future use of the original OGL void and asserting that if anyone wants to continue to use the open gaming content of any kind, they need to abide by the terms of the updated OGL, which is a far more restrictive agreement than the original OGL. And uh, according to the article, Wizards of the Coast declined to clarify if this is in fact the case. So warning bell. Yeah, and so there's the warning bells, but all is not doom and gloom because as we said, the updated license allows for a lot of, may only being applied directly to this uh, particular case into the D&D one. And there's also some other things that they did. They but it's did legally in... defensible if they do that for D&D 1, except for the final addendum about ownership of other people's uh, creative properties created under their OGL. Uh, like the, the ability to then you know, like harvest that and you know distribute it themselves royalty-free, uh, owing nothing to the original creator. That That's kind of shaky ground. That's a bad faith agreement. Yeah, and I think that... Spelled that... out in plain sight. I think that is the one where if this is going to fall and collapse, that's where it's going to teeter. Uh, also, according to the article, Chris Pramis, founder and president of Green Ronin Publishing, said that despite the fact that one of their own products, Mutants and Masterminds, was published under the original OGL in 2002 and is still available today, they had not seen the updated OGL at the time of the article, and they do not believe there is any benefit to switching to the new one as described. And some people believe that you can just ignore the 1.1 and just go with 1.0a because it's not, it's only invalidated in the fact or revoked for the fact of the D&D one going forward. But this also sets a tenure for how they're going to deal with, uh, they, um, I think the original one's what, uh, three or four pages, and I think this one's nine. Yeah, nine pages. So uh, the original uh, OGL was about 900 words, and this one is about 9,000. So, <laughs> but it also deals with things like blockchains, NTFs, uh, bigoted content that they, uh, you know, that they think, that they think is blatantly racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, bigoted, or otherwise discriminatory. They can just revoke outright, which I think puts people like uh, Wenger and. Uh, Oh, what's his uh, one uh, name? Uh, James Raggy the Fourth, and others under direct. They're basically calling you out. If you want to have neo Nazis the role playing game, yeah, uh, you're, or you're uh, a rape fetishist uh, fantasy game game and associate that with the OGL, you're doomed. Which honestly, uh, my only complaint would be that they already have the power. Yeah, they already had that power. I don't. Uh. And so, you know, like reasserting it in some very specific way, uh, you know, it, it does seem like they're throwing that in is like, well, hey, you know, aren't we doing a good thing? Hey, look, theoretically, that would be lovely, but you, you've so far not really like gotten out there and fought that fight. So why should I believe that you are suddenly interested in standing up for that? I, 
certainly it's within their rights. This is one corporate right that I will always stand by, which is when you invest in creating a brand, you're also creating something of an identity, a, a perception of what that product is about. Uh, and in defense of that, there is great leeway in a free marketplace mm. to protect, uh, to create that image, to foster that image, and then to, you know, shepherd that image. Uh, and people who attach like remoras, you know, because like, oh, I'm not as strong as a shark, but I can sure, like, I'll, I'll suck the sludge off your side. Uh, you know, the remoras show up and want a free lunch. Uh, they want to piggyback on the actual uh, creature doing the work of swimming and eating. Um, getting rid of those, like barnacles, uh, is within their purview, and I don't really disapprove of that. You know, I have I have nuanced beliefs regarding a corporate corporate environment, a corporate responsibility, uh, and corporate citizenship. I, I, there are different facets for different things. So in this case, I am loosely supportive of them protecting their brand identity, but I don't feel that this new OGL that they're proposing is really an expression of that intent. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't Wizards like is that. currently going after Justin Lanasa and his a new TSR company. They're doing that just fine. If they really wanted to get rid of uh, Wenger or uh, yeah, they didn't have James much Raggy, trouble they, with everybody else. But Mister Lanasa very aggressively. Yeah, pursued well, he this. basically put a flag up. Yeah, he he basically threw the SmackDown and challenged them. He, he assumed absolute control of like logo the TSR now, logo uh, and... under these sh somewhat shady circumstances, and then made a lot of very bold assertions very publicly. Now, if they don't answer that, that would have been like admitting, uh, legally speaking, if you don't answer a challenge like that you have rolled over and surrendered and judges will look upon it as well not only that but their starfront new Gen star frontiers new genesis uh debacle of when that was leaked of basically some of the most bigoted stuff i've viewed in years <laughs> d demonstrates that they're blatantly trying to ruin the brand for uh, others to use by tainting it with this nonsense and yeah that, uh, you know we're, we're literally going to you know salt the earth so that nobody else will ever want it uh and yeah that did i think that at that point the wizards not only acted just like you said in their defense but now has is a definitely biased to not settle it with them or trying yeah. to work it out so they have also put in this uh the new ogl revenue tiers that if you make it like i guess over a quarter million or, well, or I'm, under a quarter I'm, million. i'm sorry it's three quarters of a million dollars. If you exceed yes. $750,000 in revenue, uh, then royalties do apply. Yeah, and they also have different tiers to work with. They've already worked out a deal with Kickstarter, but... And I'm not really mortified by that. that no. Like, some people get very upset about that, but they've set a high threshold. Now, understand that once the principle is in place and that has been established that that's going to be the new rule... Uh, Look, if it applies to anything that's new content matching their recent publications, I would understand and accept that like, contractually that's fine. Uh, however, if their intention is to violate a previous contract, you know that people have been operating under the assumption of 20 plus years, that's a little trickier. Because, yeah, and it's like know, it says here right in there, uh, there it says, Note, if you appear to have achieved great success from producing OGL commercial content, we may reach out to you for a more custom and, in parentheses, mutually beneficial licensing agreement. Now, that's all well and good, and they've already done that with Kickstarter. I am altering the deal. Pray I do not alter it any further. But as the article also says, do you think Pathfinder will get a great deal like that? I don't think so. No. And there you go. Is that that's why there's a lot of questions about this, and that's why there's a lot of well, not yeah. just noise. The question is, what does an a acceptable remuneration for uh, you know, like use of similar IP constitute? You know what what would that remuneration consist of? Are we talking like okay, ten percent cut, or is it going to be more like you know, uh, Vinny the Lip? dropping by every week like no 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 like i know last week you said you will 
200. Eh, you know, we got out 200, but you know, you, you this time it's 250. And yeah, like next week, it's like 275. It, it, you know, once, unless there are incredibly rigid parameters that are yeah. established, there's a lot of room for grotesque abuse and for driving court, uh, uh, competitors. Any any degree of competition in the gaming marketplace out of existence, uh, which again diminishes the gaming marketplace overall, because uh, then it becomes a world of, well, either you like gaming and this is the only thing in gaming that you can like, or you don't like gaming and you're just not in that marketplace anymore. Which there's <laughs> there's been some harsh lessons in the past for a wide variety of companies who've tried that with this all or nothing approach. Uh, you know, if you treat it like open warfare, both on your competitors and your customers, you wind up alone. And it's not a strategy for success. It didn't work out well when they did it with the fourth edition. Yeah. It's when they put this, when they tried to put a stricture down. And they may very well succeed at driving out a lot of competition, but then people just go elsewhere. And uh, to everybody, you know, having if, a. If your critical role type shows cease to yeah, be successful, I, was just gonna, I mean. You've diminished the overall market once again. You've diminished the amount of conversation in the room. You've diminished the amount of new recruitment, uh, the amount of youth culture involvement. Uh, you literally, you know, shot yourself in the legs right before the race begins. <laughs> like, I don't want to win. Ow! So, yeah. Um, back on to what I was trying to uh, assert there, that there may be a lot going on in the with the OGL right now, but if you have plenty of books on your shelves, no one's going to take those away. No power on the earth that an OGL or contracting grant can issue uh, the warrant for your arrest and subsequent seizal of your material gaming materials at the behest of a gaming company. So yeah, you're, yeah. Despite the you know hue and cry from some of the nuttier corners, that's not how this works. Uh, it has a impact on the marketplace. Uh, as it continues to involve getting new materials that's there we're talking and you were talking that this does have the potential to completely disrupt gaming as we know it right now however if you play games like oh uh i don't know um some of the traveler or RuneQuest stuff that we've been talking about or well yeah. uh other chaosium this affects you very little unless they want to follow that corporate market which and I have a sneaking suspicion that owed to the amount of love uh, for the OGL that, like, should they really deploy this? I mean, if they want to hit that nuke button and you're like, we're blowing it up. Uh, we're playing Bounce the Rubble, the game of third strike nuclear <laughs> warfare. <laughs> hey, wait, that game by uh, Flying Buffalo taught you a lesson. Nobody wins. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> the only way to win is not to play. Uh, thank you, War Games. <laughs> Matthew Broderick forever. Uh, <laughs> Now, there is something to be gained here. Like Randy mentioned it very specifically. Uh, the possibility of a renaissance and the possibility of other you know, gaming outlets uh, using this chaos and like, if, God forbid, WOTC decides we hate success, we hate popularity, we hate monetization, uh, yeah, we, we hate actually being beloved. So we're just going to like open a vein and bleed out right in front of everybody spectacularly while kicking, thrashing, and spitting curses at anybody who tries to like stop us from hemorrhaging. Uh, if they decide to do that, there is a very likely possibility that in a gaming atmosphere filled with like smaller players waiting for an opportunity that other people might develop their own OGLs and just go like this one, you know, we're bulletproofing and we're not changing and you can come to us and use our like universal system, you know, look to, you know, keep an eyeball peeled on Chaosium, on uh, Call of Cthulhu and Steve Jackson games and a great mini. And of and course, Paizo. Also on Hot and Heels of this Catalyst games. I'm just going to yeah. slip this in here. Yeah. Battletech is selling better than ever. And they, it's starting to push out some more. A lot of stores are starting to push uh, with the content that they're pulling in from uh, Catalyst. They're starting to cut back on their games workshop orders. But they also have a role-playing game for MechWarrior, probably not as uh, robust as, say, the sales for some of Green Ronin's games or Cobalt Press's uh, role-playing games. But if you really make them uh, develop their own systems, they will. 
Yeah, and you succeeded. If in you the- have to relearn D and D, because there's a systemic change happening anyway. Uh, <laughs> what's really like? What's that big? It's not that big of a leap to go learn somebody else's system. Ralph Talzarian has a Witcher role playing game that's really good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it actually is. So. Uh, and Artel Sorian is a pretty reputable publisher too. So keep an eye peeled for the you know plucky outsiders. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay uh, is under um, a new company too. Oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be coming out swinging soon. Oh, they've already got been swinging for a while. okay. But uh, yeah, if you, I mean, I mean, if you really want people to stop playing D anD D, this is how you're going to do it. With you them. have the power, you know. I mean, it's your choice. Like nobody's. Nobody's holding you hostage on this one, WOTC. Uh, you know, I, except maybe Hasbro. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, blink twice, Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> yeah, they'll let us know that there's a situation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> cough exactly twice while you're telling us everything is okay, and we will know that a Hasbro exec is in the room with you, with like <laughs> your children tied to a sofa and like a <sighs> flamethrower. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 that went dark. Just, just two little coughs. <coughs> Everything is fine, I swear. Don't, don't come over. <laughs> Do not call the police. <laughs> wow. All right. Hey, bringing a little levity to the dark I, I, place. <laughs> just, I don't know if that was levity. Bringing a little dark place to the levity. So, uh, anyway. I drove my shimmy to the levity. Uh, but the levity was dry. Well, anyway, uh, I think we beat the subject to death. I think that there is cause for concern, but there's also, it may not be as bad as we thought, yeah. or maybe we always look at the worst case scenario. In hindsight, uh, we can look back at this and say, yeah, this was a bad decision, but uh, the internet reacted and they kind of backed away from it because they saw that this was going to be a PR nightmare. Well, and I, having a little whiff of optimist inside me, I. I borrow the ancient quote uh, and the old proverb, there is great confusion under heaven and the situation is excellent, which it means that yes. like, yeah, that in that chaos and confusion, there is also opportunity. So, you know, <laughs> it's not the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah. And not the best, but, but it's not you don't worst. know where it's going to lead. So right. let's not cast too hasty a judgment. But it's definitely going to be interesting times for this new year. So this is just opening up on 2023. Yeah, that like out of the gate on like the third, this explodes or the third or the fourth. Yeah, as and we were here talking. We are. Boom. Yeah, it's like uh, we said that uh, I think that they're also looking at places like Critical Role, just not uh, Pathfinder or Paizos directly. But I think they're looking at places like where. Uh, they, they look at all the money uh, Critical Role's making. Oh, if we could just get some of that sweet, sweet lucre. But you can't because you're not Critical Role. And Critical Role does its own thing because you support them and you get some residual through D&D 1. Oh, I don't understand these beanheads yeah, being like you, this. Well, that's because it's exceedingly difficult to quantify the number of customers, young customers, drawn to you who watched a Critical Role episode on the internet and thought, I would like to try in other gaming podcasts. And they other- are the welcome wagon. They are your cheerleaders. And, you know, they're actually responsible for generating sales for you. Like while you sit there doing nothing, they're out there doing the mission. Uh, like you, it's, like not like the, it's not like the old days where like we got to put a dingy ad on the back of a ratty comic book. Okay. You have like a massive internet presence doing your work for you. Be well, grateful for that. I, I was just going to try to tie that in with us. Uh, if like, you paid with, Madison Avenue to do that for you, you would be out a lot more than the people at Critical Role made. That I just wanted that. to put it in there that uh, that also applies to podcasts like us. It, uh, they're not really going to do anything unless we're making a great lot of money, and uh, well, we're yeah. not doing that. But it's hey, we, we always appreciate the support. Uh, if you uh, think about being a supporter to the podcast, you can do that on the Anchor app. And of course, you can reach out to us on Facebook. Uh, we're not looking for any donations or any handouts or anything like that. What we're asking for is just your support in the community. Give us likes and shares. Let people know that the Dice of Screaming podcast is out there. And we're call in and say hello. You know, I think the call ins are gone, actually. But that's a oh. different uh, subject for a different topic. But it looks like our times are up. So may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.